as a sacrifice to our country. And uh, because of this, perhaps, I had this passage of Scripture on my mind this week, or at least part of it, but I truly believe it's a message that God wants us to consider uh, called Wage the Good Warfare. Wage the Good Warfare. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 18. This charge I entrust to you, Timothy, my child, in accordance with the prophecies previously made about you, that by them you may wage the good warfare holding faith and a good conscience. By rejecting this, some have made shipwreck of their faith, among whom are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have handed over to Satan, that they may learn not to blaspheme. May God bless the reading of his word today is my prayer. On this Sunday, this passage comes to mind in considering the subject of warfare as it is presented so often in the New Testament narrative. But we do so from a Christian or a spiritual perspective. Right up front, we remember the words of Jesus when he stood before Pilate. And remember this passage because we'll refer back to it later in the message. When Jesus stood before Pilate, Jesus answered and said, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight so that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now my kingdom is not from here. Jesus was establishing the principle of his kingdom, though he was facing death himself and knew full well what was coming. He used this opportunity before Pilate to give a good confession, to make a good statement about his kingdom, that it was not like any other kingdom. Over 25 times in Matthew's gospel alone, Jesus would speak to us of the kingdom of heaven. And I'm going to make something very clear. Never one single time in Jesus' teaching, never once in the New Testament, were we instructed to use the sword to advance the faith of Jesus Christ. Not once. Because you see, a person becomes a subject to the kingdom of Jesus Christ, a member, a participant, a citizen of this kingdom, if you will, by believing on the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, you can force somebody to mouth the words, I believe in Jesus, but you can't force them to believe it in their hearts. And that's why Jesus sent us out not to take up the sword and fight and conquer nations and compel them to mouth the words, Jesus Christ is Lord. That's not what he sends out to do. Never once. He sent us out to preach the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, that he died, was buried, and rose again, and that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. I realize, and so many in the world are, are fond of pointing out that many, many people in, over the years have taken up the sword thinking that they were advancing the kingdom of Christ. They may have meant well. They may have intended it well. But they were violating the very truth and premise and foundation of our faith that whosoever believeth on Jesus Christ, whosoever believeth on him should not perish but have everlasting life. And they do that in response to the preaching of the gospel. Through messages in the Sermon on the Mount, 
to the kingdom parables of Matthew 13 and on throughout the message, Jesus spoke again and again and again about his kingdom and his position as heaven's king. Make no mistake about it. Uh, Jesus has the eternal claim to the position of the king of heaven's kingdom. Uh, There'll never be an heir to the throne. Because Jesus Christ will never die again. He has tasted death once for humanity. That's it. And he conquered death. And he lives forevermore as he presents himself in the book of Revelation. I am alive forevermore. So there will never be an heir to the throne. There's not even a rival to the throne because Jesus has conquered every enemy. And yet we are still waiting Though that victory has been won, we are still waiting for the establishment of that kingdom. I want you to see what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 24. He said, then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father, when he puts an end to all rule and all authority and power, for he must reign till he has put all enemies under his feet. Notice, the last enemy that will be destroyed is death. So you see, all things have been put under his feet. And yet, though that is true, it is evident to us that the battle still rages. Much as in this world that defies the rule and reign of Jesus Christ. Though death is a vanquished foe. And he established his victory when he came crashing out of that Palestinian tomb so long ago. Though death is a vanquished foe, people still die. Believers and unbelievers alike. As the Apostle Paul then considers the outcome of his rule, he is establishing it in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 as being already decided. That is, the outcome is not in question. The outcome is not in question. Remember that. That's an important principle for this message today. It is an important principle for our life. The outcome is not in question. Jesus' victory may not be completely enforced in our world today. Many rivals exist. Many work against him and rebel and live in rebellion against him. Death still occurs, though death is a vanquished foe. But his victory is not in question. It is, in fact, an established fact. I want to read you a few more passages of Scripture. Hang with me. 1 Corinthians 15, 57. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. (laughs) There is indeed victory in Jesus. Amen. All right. First uh, John chapter 5, verse 4. For whatsoever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome, has overcome the world, our faith. Second Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14. Now thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph in Christ and through us diffuses the fragrance of his knowledge in every place. So then in these passages of Scripture then, we see that God gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Our faith is the victory. And 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14 tells us that Christ is leading us along in his victory lap. I mean, he is on a victory parade right now, and we are in that parade. He'll go even further in Colossians chapter 2. Look at this. Verse 14, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us, and he's taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross, and having disarmed, disarmed principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it, that is, in his cross. 
So, with all this talk about victory, why does the Apostle Paul speak to Timothy about waging a good warfare? Why should this same apostle say in 2 Timothy, I have fought a good fight. I have kept the faith. I have finished my course. Obviously, though, the battle has been won forever on Calvary and the outcome has been decided. This resistance is ongoing and death is still happening. Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 14, look at this. Now, since the children have flesh and blood in common, he also, that's Jesus, shared in these so that through his death he might destroy the one holding the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who were held in slavery all their lives by the fear of death. Death is forever in our field of view. It never leaves it. Friends, family members, loved ones, grandparents, parents, siblings, and children. There might be some in this building who have experienced all those manifestations of death, but all of us have seen it in some. All of us have lost friends, loved ones, family members. But I think of some people dear and near to me, some in my own family, that I watched them as they suffered through the death of their grandparents, their parents. They lost children, all their siblings. Death is forever in our field of view. The warfare in which we are all engaged in is primarily a warfare between the liberty of the life that we have in Christ Jesus or the bondage and slavery of the fear of death and the devil. Go back to this passage again, 2 Corinthians chapter 2. Now thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph in Christ and through us diffuses the fragrance of his knowledge in every place. For we are to God the fragrance of Christ among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To the one we are the aroma of death leading to death and to the other the aroma of life leading to life. And who is sufficient for these things? Make no mistake about it, brothers and sisters in Christ. The warfare in which we are engaged is a matter of life and of death. On an eternal scale. The warfare in which we are engaged is a matter of whether we will live our life in the glorious liberty of the children of God, or whether we will spend our life in fear of death and enslaved by the devil. Paul would write in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 12. Same book, 1 Timothy 6, 12. He comes back to it again, telling Timothy again, verse 12. Fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life to which you were also called and have confessed the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. Remember I told you to remember about Jesus before Pontius Pilate. Here it is. I urge you in the sight of God who gives life to all things and before Christ Jesus who witnessed the good confession before Pontius Pilate that you keep this commandment without spot. What commandment? Fight the good fight of faith and lay hold on eternal life. 
You keep this commandment without spot, blameless, until our Lord Jesus Christ's appearing. <laughs> until Jesus comes, folk, we need to hold on to eternal life. Until Jesus comes, we need to hold on to that awareness that God is the giver of life and that we have eternal life in Jesus Christ. Fight the good fight of faith. Wage the good war warfare. Uh, don't let it escape your attention that in a way the book, this is a bookend for the whole book of 1 Timothy. <laughs> Wage the good warfare, chapter 1. Fight the good faith, fight of faith, chapter 6. Bookends for the whole book for Timothy. The question for us in this morning is, uh, if we have a fight to fight, and we do, if we have a warfare before us and we have one, then how are we going to conduct it? And this passage gives us a lot about that in our text. We'll be looking at it. First, we notice the prophecies. This command, verse 18, I commit to you, my son Timothy, according to the prophecies that were previously given to you, that by them you might fight a good fight, keeping faith in a good conscience, which some have rejected and suffered shipwreck in regard to their faith. See, the prophecies in this faith, in this passage, refer to the revealed truth of God. Remember that in those days, before the completion of Scripture, God would reveal His truth to the prophets, never individually. Whenever God was speaking to a prophet, there would always be two or three prophets so that the spirit of the prophets was subject to the prophets. And in that way, God was revealing His truth in the days of the New Testament. The only exception to that multiplicity of prophets uh, was in the case of the apostles. So so that the apostles who were the living authoritative record of Jesus Christ, Jesus had promised them that they would have a gift of being able, the gift of knowledge to remember all the things that Jesus taught. And so they were able to speak authoritatively as apostles. And God would sometimes reveal mysteries. And, and he did that many times to the apostle Paul. Many revelations that he received. And then he was able to communicate them to God's people. And so it's difficult for us to understand in looking at this passage about the prophecies. And in fact, if you read it in several different translations, you'll see that some of them make the prophecies about Timothy himself. And some of them were prophecies that, as far as the Greek is concerned, you know, when Paul was saved, God sent a prophet to him. Acts chapter 9, you remember that story? His name was Ananias. Ananias was the one that was, was, we talked about a few weeks ago. Now, Lord, I'm not sure if you know this. You know, Paul is a, is a killer of Christians, and you're sending me to him. You remember what God said to Ananias, the prophet? You go and you speak to Paul, for he is a chosen vessel unto me. And you must show him, he said, what things he will suffer for my name's sake. You see, God gave Ananias a prophecy about Paul. How that he was a chosen vessel unto God. How that God was going to use him to preach to kings and, and to people in authority. That God was going to mightily use him. And that he was going to greatly suffer for the cause of Christ. Now, if something like that happened specifically to Timothy, we don't know exactly what it was. But it could very well have been a message like that. 
a message that would speak of Timothy and of how God was going to use him in an incredible way as one of those second generation leaders of the Christian faith. That Paul would pass the truth along to him and he in turn would pass it on to others. And therefore, the commitment of these prophecies about Timothy could very well both speak of some message that was about Timothy and what he was going to be and what he was going to become. And as a result of that, then, he had a great uh, commitment made to him, a, a precious trust, if you will. And that was the Word of God. Timothy and all of us share something in common. God's promises to us are very personal promises. How do we know this morning that we have eternal life? Because the Bible tells me so. Amen? How do we know that Jesus loves us? Because the Bible tells us so. How do we know that salvation is for everybody? Because the Bible tells us so. And so we have this completed revelation of God. And it gives us promises of God that are about us. That is, they are to us, they are for us, they are about us, but they give to us some understanding of what our destiny is. Now, as the beneficiaries of the truth of God's completed revelation, the New Testament, we're not still getting those kind of prophecies today. I want to make that clear. But God's truth is still being invested in us. It's invested in every generation and the faith in God's promises has always been under fire and it always will be until Jesus comes. But Jesus talked about that in Luke chapter 18 in the parable of the unjust judge. And he asked the question, Shall not God avenge his own elect which cried day and night unto him, though he bear long with them? I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, this is a sobering statement by Jesus. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man cometh, Shall he find faith on the earth? See, he knew that a lot of people would struggle, though God himself promised to avenge the wrongs that were done to his people, though God himself promised that he was aware of every act of persecution, every act that vilifies the people of God, everything that tries to suppress our faith or subdues our faith, yet he knew that it would be tough for us to hold on to our faith under fire. There's a battle. There's a war to wage. And that war cannot be avoided. As in all wars, we will either be the victor or the vanquished. Victor or vanquished. We'll either stand on the promise of God and face death and the devil or we'll turn away from the truth and the living of the truth. We might think, well, I'd just soon sit this one out. I think all of us would, but let me tell you something. We don't have that option. There is no live and let live in this ageless conflict. It doesn't exist. I remember hearing an old fable. You know what a fable is. It's a story that didn't really happen, but it makes a point, okay? I remember hearing an old fable about an elephant that was captured and put in a cage, a pen. And that pen just happened to be the home of a little mouse. And the little mouse didn't want to give up his home. And so that night, him and the elephant had a powwow. And he said, now listen, I, I want to make something real clear to you. If you won't step on me, I won't step on you. We just, we just need a little live and let live here. I'll leave you alone. You leave me alone. 
Let me tell you something. The devil's not going to leave us alone. He's not. We can't avoid this conflict. It's not going to go away. We can't just uh, uh, call a truce. It's, it's not going to be there. This warfare is unavoidable. And it is a warfare that we wage with the truth of God in our own hearts. That brings us to the second thing. So number one, the prophecies. That is the revealed truth of God. And we have God's revealed truth in the Bible. And it is true and trustworthy. And it tells us what to do. Then there's faith and conscience. This charge I entrust to you, Timothy, my child, verse 18, in accordance with the prophecies previously made about you, that by them you may wage the good warfare, holding faith and a good conscience. We have before us then both of the usages of faith in the New Testament. We have uh, the faith as it speaks of the prophecies, the revealed truth of God, what we believe. And then faith that is the act of trusting and confidence. And that is what it is in this passage, holding faith. That is our trusting God, our confidence in God. We believe what God has said, and because of that, we have faith in God. We approach life not with fear, but with faith. We are trusting in Almighty God. We have faith because we know what God has said to us. He speaks to us then of holding this faith. Holding it. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 7 says we walk by faith and not by sight. Hebrews chapter 10 38 says the just shall live by faith. We could add in the whole 11th chapter of the book of Hebrews. Reminding us that without faith it is impossible to please God. This is believing God, trusting God as the operational principle of our life in Christ. Then the warfare that we are called on to wage. Waging a good warfare involves the truth of God, the prophecies that are revealed to us, but it also involves our holding on to our own faith, that we'll continue to believe God and trust in God. And then we wage a good warfare by holding a good conscience. It's possible for us to see to believe all the right things and trust God to do what He has said He would do and yet not have a good conscience. Because we aren't living out what we believe in and what we know to be true. The good conscience comes as we are doing what God has told us to do. So we're holding on to faith and a good conscience. That means it's not just a matter of belief, but waging a good warfare is also about behavior. It's not about what we believe in or what we know to be true. But it's also about how we live out our faith. It can be a battle of simple sin. But it can be a battle as it was with Timothy and Paul and yes, even Jesus who in the face of death gave a good confession. It's as to whether we live by faith or, or live by fear. Will we live in faith or live in the fear of death? That was a big issue that first century believers faced and it is still the issue for us today. Life or death. The victory that overcomes is our faith. And the living of it. So we wage a good warfare. By the truth of God. By the prophecies. By the promises that have been revealed to us. By the Holy Spirit. We wage a good warfare by holding on to faith. And a good conscience. That is we trust in God. And we live in a way. That reveals that we trust in God. We wage a good warfare. The last thing then is the warning of shipwreck. 
holding faith in a good conscience, verse 19. By rejecting this, some have made shipwreck of their faith. And he gives a couple of examples, Hymenaeus and Alexander. When Paul mentions uh, the things that they have thrown out, and as a result of these things that were thrown out then, they made shipwreck of their faith. He was using language that these ancient people would have known well. Their sailing vessels uh, were wooden vessels. Inside of those was something critical. It was called ballast. It was down in the keel of the ship. And that weight was often made by cargo, of course, but if there was no cargo, they would have to put something there, something heavy, oftentimes lead or sand, rocks even could be pressed in. Because you see, the, the ship was constantly going to be blowed by the wind. Now, as long as the waters were smooth, uh, they didn't need a, a lot of ballast. And there, were, uh, there was always a temptation on the part of the ancient mariners to say, you know, this ballast down there in the hole, uh, you know, we've got good weather. We really don't need that. We could make a, a lot more progress if we just throw all that stuff out. We don't need that. We, we could lighten the ship. We could go a lot faster. And all would be well unless the wind kicked up. Because you see, in the storms, when the storm is blowing and the ship is being tossed, that ballast would keep it going. If the ballast was gone or there was none, it'd be a shipwreck. Ship couldn't be steered, couldn't hold the waves. Paul was warning these believers that they needed to hold on to their faith and hold on to their good conscience and not throw it overboard like ballast. There's a temptation, you see, in the lives of God's people today because our faith in Jesus Christ sometimes might seem to weigh us down. We might think we could make a lot quicker progress if we weren't doing everything uh, the way that the Bible tells us. A lot of things the Bible says goes against our cultural ideas and, and the ideas of those around us. It'd be easy for us just to kind of set that aside. I, we don't need this. This is slowing us down. Brothers and sisters in Christ, you'll be fine if you do that for a while as long as the seas are calm. But when the storm blows, you need a ballast down deep in your heart it's going to hold you steady against the waves. And that ballast is your faith and a good conscience. By the truth of God, by our faith, holding on to our faith, holding on to a good conscience, holding on to eternal life, then we can wage the good warfare I want to wrap this up for us today as Brother Bill and our praise team comes. I want to remind you that Jesus, the Bible tells us, came to destroy the one who had the power of death, and that was the devil. And the reason that he did that was so that we would not have to live all of our life in slavery to the fear of death. But death is always in our <laughs> it's always on our radar. 
It's always in our view. It's either all around us or behind us. And listen, it is ahead of us all. The Bible tells us in Adam all die. And there's only one exception. And that's to go out with the shout, with the voice of the archangel and the trump of God, the blessed hope, the rapture of the saints. And it may be closer than any of us could ever imagine. Except for that, death is around us. Death is behind us. We've seen it in the past. And death is ahead of us all. And yet, in the midst of that, Paul calls us to a warfare. A warfare to fight the good fight of faith. To hold on to our faith and a good conscience. To hold on to eternal life. To hold on to our understanding that Jesus died to liberate us from the fear of death. I will admit to you today, it's a whole lot easier to trust God with my life than it is with the life of my wife and my kids. Yeah, I can trust God with my life. Yeah, I'm ready to go. I'm not ready for my kids to go, my grandkids. Not ready for my friends, my neighbors, my loved ones. It's a lot easier to trust God with my life than it is everybody else's. I want us to think then of that old Paul. Soldier of the cross. In prison. Facing death. Writing to the young man. He called him my own son. My own child. In the faith. Paul's war was was over. His fight was done. And he knew it. He knew what was coming. But he sent his own dear son, Timothy, out to the same battlefield to fight the same fight, knowing that the same thing was going to happen to him, Timothy, that had happened to Paul. It's a whole lot easier to trust God with our own life than it is with the lives of others. But throughout all these many centuries, God's people have lived and served and died in faith. That great faith chapter, Hebrews 11, these all died in faith. I want to go out with a shout in faith. (laughs) Wouldn't that be great? In a moment, the twinkle of an eye, faster than you are able to even register it in your mind, faster than the speed of thought, we're going to be with Jesus. We're going to say, oh yeah, I knew it was coming. <laughs> I knew it. Now here it is. Or, like generations before us, these eyes will close in death. <laughs> and faster than our mind will register it. We might be completely unconscious. <laughs> but we're going to wake up, seeing the face of Jesus, and walking on the shores of heaven. 
this Paul said to live as Christ and to die as gain. Jesus Christ came so that we didn't have to live our life as slaves to the devil and fear. And I pray today that we will lay hold on our faith and the living of it in this sin-cursed world. I'm going to pray. We're going to lead and close out in a song. We're not going to ask you to come forward. If you need to respond, you come see me after service. I'll pray with you, but I want to pray for us all. Heavenly Father.